0: So uh, just as we get started this morning, there's a couple of, of firsts that are happening today. Um, the first is that this will be the first time I've intentionally as a pastor taught a Thanksgiving message. I'm not big for themes, but there we go. I'm going to do a Thanksgiving message today. Secondly, it's the first time that I'm going to teach from Psalm. So I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing altogether, but I just want to let you guys know we're making history today together, all right? Thanksgiving message from the book of Psalm. Um, I've been speaking a bit lately, prior to last week, uh, about the the transcendent experience of being the church when she comes together in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the ways, as I was thinking about this, one of the ways that we ought to characterize the gathering of the church, which I believe actually was a bit this morning, um, and I'm, I'm thankful that this morning God met us in the way that he did and engaged us, is is a I think we should characterize the gathering of the church as uh, celebratory or celebration, and I don't think there's enough celebration at times when it, when we come together as the church. And there's many different reasons for that that I'm not going to posit on right at the moment. But it's just to say the gathering of the church should be a celebration. And I think that as I was thinking about it, celebrate or celebration is one of those words that I think has been um, watered down in its significance. Where it's like, let's celebrate. And we put the signs over our mantles when it's Thanksgiving and, you know, whatever. And I think we could probably attribute it to cool in the gang for celebrate good times. It's like over familiar now, right? And we're just like, okay, are we really going to celebrate? But I actually think it's one of those words that we should really consider recapturing as believers. Not that it's a, a faith only. But when we consider the significance of what it means to celebrate, are we not those who have much to celebrate? I mean, man, what Rick just took us through and what Ann came and encouraged the church in this morning, that is the cause and that is the reason why when we gather, there is joy in the house of the Lord. Why is there joy in the house of the Lord? Is it because we whip our emotion up? Is it because we're trying to tell ourselves that we should be happy and that we should be joyful? No, it's when we fix our minds on who God is and what God has done that we are able to, to really and sincerely celebrate just the beauty of the Christian life. To celebrate is to come together with a sense of joy around an event or events that were significant in one's life. That's what it means to celebrate. And what is the church but a gathered celebration around the event that was the person of Jesus Christ and that is Christ Jesus ascended today on the throne. It's vital to the church's essence. And as a core of celebration, there is a habit that the church has engaged in that is as old as the Christian faith itself. At the core of celebrating is this habit that the church has given herself to. In fact, it is a habit that the church has engaged in before the church was even the church. It's a habit that goes back well into the Old Testament when God gathered him, his people to himself and the foreshadowing of what the new covenant church would be. And that is the act of remembrance. That to celebrate is to remember. Remembrance becomes a primary act of God's people in Exodus after God has led them out of captivity. Listen. After his people have been freed from enslavement, led out of captivity, and were beginning to wander towards the land of rest and the land of promise. Is that not the church? Are we not those who have been freed? Dozens upon dozens of instances in the Old Testament, God's instruction to his people is this, remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Lest when you eat, and this is the Lord speaking to the people of Israel. Just listen to this church. You're probably trying to figure out what's the point of this. Just, Just hear what I'm saying this morning. The Lord God says to the people of Israel, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good homes and live in them, And when your hearts and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, who has experienced that in their life? Multiplication. Lest when all of those things happen, then your heart is lifted up. Take care to remember the Lord your God, lest your heart be lifted up. Beware lest your heart, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers at as it is on this day church we remember together so that in our hearts we aren't puffed up with conceit that we ourselves wouldn't say look at all that i have done Look at this great life that I have. Look at these beautiful children. Look at this this house that I own. Or look at this wonderful church that I contribute to. Brothers and sisters, let's remember together. Let us celebrate through remembrance that it is all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. By his hand, by his might, by his power, by his grace and mercy. That we find ourselves today placed, thriving, healthy, loved, and all the other ways that God blesses us greatly today. Time after time, the Lord will instruct his people in the Old Testament to remember what he's done. Remind yourselves of what God has done, church. That's what this morning is. That's what worship is. That's what this is, to remind ourselves of what God has done. And what is it, I was asking myself, what is it in the act of remembering that becomes so beneficial for our souls and our minds as believers Why does God call his people to remember? The first thing I was thinking is that it reminds us that God has first remembered us. It's a reminder of God's part of what he has done apart from us, and he says this, when God brings you into the land, this again, Deuteronomy 8, that he swore to your fathers. Then take care lest you forget. Through Remembrance Church, We celebrate that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a covenant making and covenant keeping God. He cannot and He will not forget nor turn His back on the promises that He has made to His people long ago. And then, secondly, I was thinking the reason that remembrance is important is that it engages our hearts because they wander. Our hearts wander, don't they? They're prone to distraction. Our hearts are prone to the worship of other things. And he says this again, just repeating what I read. Take care lest you forget, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. We remember because we remember he first remembered us. And we remind ourselves that our hearts wander and it's good to be reminded of what God has done. So what I want to do today, church, is use Psalm 107, and I want to celebrate today together through remembrance. And I'm going to give you a bit of a context, but what I'm really desiring to do, the aim of this morning, brothers and sisters, is just to elevate our hearts and our minds to a place where we can revel together this morning in the mercy and the kindness and the faithfulness and the patience and the love and the steadfastness and the goodness of God. Let's do this together. This morning is not going to be so much me preaching from the word as it is us together worshiping and celebrating in an act of remembrance. So Psalm 107, look at that, please. Let's turn to Psalm 107. So as I was meditating and asking God what direction we should go today as we just kind of get ready to move in our hearts towards the celebration of the Advent season Uh, I didn't want to overstep the real joy that that a focus of thankfulness can bring, and I I don't mean that to sound trite in the sense of you know like the holiday um, significance. It's more of just to say it's a good thing to steep our hearts in thankfulness. It's a good thing to remind ourselves of why we are a thankful people. And to be honest with you, the opening words for me of Psalm 107 rang out just loud and true. And I'm going to read Psalm 107 here in a moment. But it's, it's here in Psalm 107 where he begins, the Psalter begins with the words, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. How many times this, is this repeated in the Psalms? A number of times. But how many times have we just stopped and meditated on those words? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. And then I love the <clears throat> ensuing verse that it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And we can personalize this verse often. I'm going to talk more about it in a moment. But brothers and sisters, this is a song and a declaration for the gathered church to proclaim together to one another. So Psalm 107 is a a psalm of celebration through the act of remembrance. It's a call to God's people to revel together in the goodness of God, to remember the extension of his love and of his mercy towards mankind and towards us personally. And in response to that love and mercy, to praise, to worship him, to adore him, and to find our sure footing that is the rock of Christ Jesus. We remember because it stabilizes us in remembrance because he is a covenant God. So before I read this, I want to point out that the Psalter is not so much calling the individual to remember the goodness of God, but rather he's calling the community of which, of course, the individual is a part of, but he's calling the community, the community of faith to give thanks for God's goodness. This is part of our liturgy, church. This is what we do as a people to respond this morning to God. This is what I want us to do together, not from a viewpoint of what we perceive, and I so appreciated this about what Kelly said last week, but to move from the subjective to the objective. We don't worship this morning from a place of what we perceive. Right? We worship this morning from a place of what is objectively true. We start from the top and we work down in our worship. One of the things we're going to see here in Psalm 107 is that the way that the Psalter has laid out this, there is a a call and a response and a format. And so what I want to do is I'm going to speak in a moment about the pattern that will emerge within Psalm 107 that the writer will intentionally present to to help us through our celebration and remembrance. But I want to actually first point out that built within this psalm is a call and a response whereby the writer calls the assembly to remember and then respond in a manner of worship that is fitting or commensurate with the degree of goodness that God has acted within. That makes sense. He's going to call us to respond in a way that is fitting of the work that we have remembered. And the goodness of God. So, as we move along through our text today, I'm going to ask and invite us together as a church to respond in prayers and in statements of thankfulness. So, it's going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be just me teaching this morning. Together, we are going to remember and we're going to respond to the goodness of God together today. So, I want to read Psalm 107. You can read along with me. I'm reading from the ESV. I apologize don't have it for the monitor this morning, but you can just listen or however you best follow along. Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. "'Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. "'Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, "'and he delivered them from their distress. "'He led them by a straight way "'till they reached a city to dwell in. "'Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, "'for his wondrous works to the children of man. "'For he satisfies the longing soul "'and the hungry soul he fills with good things. "'Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, "'Prisoners in affliction and in irons, "'for they had rebelled against the words of God "'and spurned the counsel of the Most High. "'So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. "'They fell down with none to help. "'Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, "'and he delivered them from their distress. "'He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, "'and he burst their bonds apart. "'Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love.' For his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love and for his wondrous works toward the children of man. And let, them, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love or his wondrous works towards the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he get, lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. His blessing By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth." Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Church, as God's ransomed people, as his chosen people, as his beloved possession, his children in whom he delights, are we not those who have the most to give thanks for this day? Are we not? Should we not be a people of immeasurable and abundant Thankfulness and gratitude, reveling in the mercy and the goodness and the love and the grace and faithfulness of God. Should we not be that type of a people? I heard it recently said that we don't worship. We don't worship in a um, what do they call a mortuary. We don't worship in a mortuary. The Lord God is risen. He's alive. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's working all things according to His perfect will. This is what we worship within, the truthfulness today. We of all people should find that this declaration that the Lord is good, as the psalmist would say, resonates so deeply within our hearts and flows from our lips like the psalmist would say, uh, like David would say that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely, certainly, with absolute certainty, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We have to begin by recognizing that the goodness of God is not just what he does, but it is who God is. He is goodness. Psalm 119, 68, the psalmist says, you are good and you do good. He is good, church. Just as he is holy, as holiness is a part of his name, as righteousness is who he is, as love is who he is and so flows to his creation, so does goodness. Goodness flow out from his character and his nature. Brothers and sisters, he is good and he cannot act in any other way other than goodness. John says this, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He only acts good because he himself is only good. Compared with him, there's none that is even remotely good. Not even one. Of course, we know Paul's famous words, there is none that is righteous. Only he, listen to this church, only God is perpetually good. And we perpetually partake of his goodness. What a beautiful and wonderful thing that is. I, let, let this strike deep in your hearts this morning. Let's go past just the you know, the happy, warm feelings in our minds that this brings and let it resonate within our hearts that God is good. Give thanks to the Lord, brothers and sisters, for he is good. So to help awake our minds and our hearts to his goodness, giving more ammunition, if you will, for us to worship and to praise him, Psalm 107 presents four conditions that God's redeemed are called to remember. There's four conditions that we just read that we as the redeemed are called to remember and reflect on the goodness of God and then respond in praise that is fitting for his rescue. There are four conditions that each one of us has lived beneath and some more than one and so what today, I want to just invite you as I go through them and as we prepare to respond to them, to consider in your own hearts, again, as the individual a part of this community, so that our place of worship and response is sincere and genuine unto the Lord. What represents where you have come from? These four conditions represent the state of man's heart outside of Christ, and as such, they're meant to remind us the extent that God's goodness has reached into man's sinfulness. In each, the psalmist leads us through this pattern. It begins with the state of man and their depth of sin. Then it moves from God bringing man to the end of themselves, where they cry out to God in their distress and in their trouble. And then it leads us to God responding in mercy and meeting mankind in their place of need. And then the psalmist finishes with with God's restoration and his redemption of the individual and then calls the people to appropriate level of worship and praise as a response. So the first condition is this. The first condition that we see in verses 4 through 9 is that we are called to remember the sojourner. The wandering heart that is without place and it is without security. He says this in verse 4 that some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Some des- wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. But, brothers and sisters, as Psalm 68 reminds us, God's goodness places the lonely in families. This is what God has done. But God, being rich in mercy, as Rick spoke earlier, he places the lonely into families. He takes the wandering heart and he places them within the city of God where there is place, where there is security, and where there is sustenance. Paul, in Ephesians 1.5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and as daughters through Jesus Christ. In love, in his goodness, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters. He takes the wandering heart and he places them where they thrive. The establishing of the wanderer has always been in the will of God. He places us where we identify as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We are best suited to live and to serve him. Our confession should always be, as David would say, that the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup in Psalm 16. He says this, that you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That should be the confession of God's people. The goodness of God is our adoption into family, brothers and sisters, into this family, whereby he calls us child, whereby we call him father, and whereby we call each other brothers and sisters. He places the lonely. He places the lonely into families. He causes the wanderer, the sojourner, to find place and to find security. This is the goodness of God. Amen, church? I want to now, and this might feel odd, so I'm just gonna ask us, you don't, you can stand, you can sit, it doesn't matter. I want us just to take that truth and I wanna pause for a moment. I wanna call you to reflect for a moment and then together I want to give thanks to the Lord. And we can give thanks right from where we are and we'll just do it individually as you feel led. Give thanks to the Lord. If, if the Lord's goodness has found you as a wanderer, as a sojourner, as one without place. Give your thanks unto the Lord this morning. Let's reflect on the goodness of God and then just as you're led, just pray out to the Lord. Give the Lord praise, give the Lord worship today. Then, the second condition church that we're called to remember is the condition of the prisoner. Those that are captive, bound by sin and in their own rebellion as the psalmist would tell us. In verse 10, he says that some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. And were we not all prisoners at one point? We know that this was the case. Some feel it or have felt it more than others, perhaps, but the reality is that each and every one of us were prisoners in our own hearts and minds. We were all once dead in our sin, captive to the prince of this age, Satan himself. We were each at one time bound and slaves. But as the Word of God tells us, that His goodness leads out the prisoner to prosperity, the psalmist says again in Psalm 68. The goodness of God leads out the prisoner to prosperity. God, in His act of redemption through Jesus Christ, set free the captive's soul. And in Luke, Jesus announces that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, of Isaiah 61, where he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, speaking of himself, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor and what he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of Jesus Christ is a ministry of freedom. It's a ministry of victory and of conquering. But not just freedom for freedom's sake, but freedom unto something. He has set us free into life, into prosperity, into blessing, into righteousness, and unto boldness and obedience. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're in dead slaves to righteousness. And what a great thing that is. Amen? I love the words, I think it's attributed to Luther, and I might even just mess it up off the top of my head, but it's that we are saved by grace through faith, but not by faith. No, we are saved by faith through grace alone, but not by faith that is alone. In other words, it is a righteous act of God's kindness and goodness towards us that saves us through faith, but however, our faith does not remain just a faith. It produces a good works that we then in turn live unto. He has freed us, not just into freedom, but freedom into obedience and into righteousness. In verse 16, the psalmist in our chapter here in 107, he says that he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. And then what is the call of worship, brothers and sisters? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Amen? Amen. Can we take a moment today and just give thanks to the Lord for his goodness for the prisoner, for the ones that were in darkness, for the ones that were bound that he has set free, for the ministry of victory and the life of freedom that he has brought us each into, amen? amen. Reflect together for a moment and then let's give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, you, Thank you Lord Jesus. Praise, Praise you, God. God. Me, God amen. Heart, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. Amen. We praise you, Lord God. We give thanks to you for you are good. That leads us to the third. So appropriate. Janice just prayed. The third condition that we're called to remember is the condition of the sick and of the afflicted. He says in verse 17 that some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. But brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God's act of redemption through Christ Jesus himself brought with it a restoration for the sick, a restoration for the afflicted, not merely just the sick of heart or the sick of body, but redemption encompasses all of our lives, our souls, and our bodies. It says that he sent out his word and he healed them. Redemption says that complete healing will one day be ours through the final act of glorification whereby God finally makes all things new. However, as partakers of the new covenant now and inhabitants of the king's kingdom now here on earth, we are those who partake and taste of the powers of the age to come. The future reality is present in part. It is present in part today. It is The future reality is an experience that we have in part today. Let us thank the Lord, the psalmist says, for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And I love how he adds an additional measure of thankfulness where he says, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. That the Lord Jesus Christ has healed the sick, has healed the afflicted, has brought restoration to a sick humanity because of sin's effects on our life. Can we just take a moment, and I so appreciated, Jim, your story, man, of how God has made you and caused you to be cancer-free, and how we can celebrate together as a faith community that the Lord Jesus Christ has freed him from this sickness. Father, we give you thanks this morning for our brother. Lord Jesus, we worship you for what you have done in this man's life, and we celebrate together as a community the goodness of God that has reached so far and into the extent of his life that you have removed this disease from him, Lord God. We worship you, and we thank you for that. Can we just thank the Lord, those who have experienced relief from sickness, release from affliction. Give thanks to the Lord this morning together in the assembly. Amen. Yes, you have, Lord. Thank you, Father. That's right. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then the fourth and final condition that the psalmist calls us to remember is that of the blind. Those whom God has not revealed himself yet to. In verses 23 through 32, they seem to describe those who are going on about with their everyday work oblivious and and blind to God himself, and yet God, through his grace, through his common grace, opens their eyes to see him with his and through his creation. And in this revelation, they call out to God and he answers them. And we know well that Paul's description in Romans chapter one, where he says that God's wrath is poured out upon all unrighteousness because no man is without excuse. For God in his wisdom and God in his love and God in his goodness has made plainly known to all mankind for what can be known about God is plain to us. His invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. That's Paul's words in Romans 1. And again in Psalm 107 verse 24, it says that they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. We praise God that in his goodness, he's chosen to reveal himself to every heart through common grace that is his creation. We praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he has provided a means for each and every man and woman to know and to believe. I think sometimes we think of Paul's words there in Romans 1 as God's excuse for punishing mankind. Like This is the reason why God will judge. But what I'm saying to you this morning, it is not his reason for punishment, brothers and sisters. It is his, provi- his provision for saving mankind. That is the love of God revealed, not the judgment of God that will one day be executed, although it will be, be- poured out upon all righteousness, God through his love, God through his goodness has revealed himself through the beauty of his creation where the master can be seen through his handiwork. May we give thanks to the Lord this morning for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And I love how the psalmist finishes this portion in verse 32 and he says, let them extol him in the congregation of the people. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is us this morning, brothers and sisters. We were those who were blinded. We were those who did not see, but God in his mercy revealed himself to us, called us as one of his own, brought the wandering heart into a place of place, released the afflicted and the sick and healed them, brought sight to the blind. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We give thanks to him this morning, right, brothers and sisters? Can we just, at this moment, uh, can we stand together? I hope this was okay. I really wanted to just bring us into a place of thankfulness this morning. And what I want to do is I want to end it at the Lord's table. Because what more beautiful act of remembering together than the Lord's table? The Lord's table, brothers and sisters, is the culmination of the gathering of the church, of the Sunday gathering. It's the centerpiece by which we stand and by which all of these things are remembered and celebrated and brought to mind again and the grace of God given to us. And so what I wanna do now is, can we just lift our voices together in thanks for these things to him? And as we do that, I wanna invite, just ask the musicians to come back up. We're gonna come to the Lord's table. We're gonna sing together as our last kind of bit of worship and thanks, and then we'll be excused. And I know that we'll go a few minutes over, but I think that's okay. Just given where we are, it's appropriate this morning. So in light of this, can we just lift our voices in thanks and in praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're uncomfortable doing it, just do it quietly to yourself, but let's give him the praise that he deserves this morning, church. Amen? Amen? Let's just do it together and then we'll sing.